Welcome to the Answer and Religious Era show. My name is Brian Garlock. This is our live Bible Q&A. We go live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. So if you have a Bible question, now is the time to send that question in. You can email us, questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on our Facebook page. Again, that's questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. And we are taking questions now. We will do our best to get to your live questions. We also have a daily show that we want to advertise. It's Monday through Friday. It drops at 5 a.m. Eastern time, and it is the Daily Answer with Mark Dunnigan, and he is on the panel today. Uh, appreciate all the work he puts into that, and so if that is something that encourages you uh, or that you need something to encourage you or challenge you each and every morning, you can check out the Daily Answer podcast on all major podcast platforms. It is audio only. All right, uh, let's bring up our panel, and uh, we'll get to see the men who are going to be answering the questions today, uh, your questions that you've sent in. We have uh, Terry. Uh, the, the headlines are still on there. Terry, the aged, uh, Stephen, and Brian, and uh, Mark, uh, good to see you guys. How are you all doing today? Good, good, good. Mark and Bella. Mark and Bella. Bella's uh, brought her on today because some of the questions are going to be a little bit challenging, so uh, we'll see what Bella well, thinks sh- about some show, of it. Show the cat. Has, has the, uh, the audience hasn't seen the cat in a while. That's there Bella. There you go. There you go. Pretty little cat. Uh, I guess I, it just hit me that Bob's not on. He was supposed to be on, and I don't I don't see him. So uh, missing him today. Anyway, uh, this is our live Bible Q and A. So let's uh, open with a word of prayer. And uh, Brian, let's uh, let's ask you to do that, please. Yeah. Would you join me in prayer? Most holy God and Father in heaven, we're so very grateful to have had a few minutes of time this morning to consider the uh, things that we have questions about in our lives and how we can. Uh, apply your word to answering those things. We pray, Father, uh, that the things that we speak about this day are in accordance with your will, that uh, we are are encouraging and encouraged by doing these things. We're grateful for this opportunity that we have. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Appreciate that uh, prayer, brother. All right, this is our live Bible Q&A. Send in your questions now. Answering Religious Air on Facebook is where you can find us, as well as on YouTube. Or you can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com. Before we begin with our first question, it is meme time. All right, today's meme uh, says, Jesus died for our sins in quotation marks. Uh, Okay, uh, but he didn't stay dead, right? So what exactly did he sacrifice? And uh, then the meme... uh, Memer goes on to say, Jesus gave up his weekend for your sins. And uh, so this is a really insulting meme. Um, so we want to we want to answer this meme that's uh, going around on social media. Uh, Terry Bitten, let's start with you since you are the oldest. And you're muted, by the way, brother. All right. Uh, good to be with you all. Uh, looking at the meme says Jesus died for our sins. Okay, but he didn't stay dead, right? And I'm I'm wondering, well, what does that have to do with whether or not he died for our sins and whether dying for sins is legitimate? It is. Uh, he he was a sacrifice in his death, and uh, and and that's all that we need to know is that Jesus sacrificed himself in uh, allowing himself to be put to death. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. That is, those Jews were determined and foreknowledge of God, and God planned that too. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Jesus died by the determined counsel and also the foreknowledge of God and those lawless hands that were involved. And Jesus didn't have to, but he wanted to make the proper sacrifice. So he sacrificed his life for us. Um, and the question is, what exactly did he sacrifice? He sacrificed his pure life allowing himself to be taken by lawless hands and, uh, and put to death. That's the sacrifice. Jesus gave up his life so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Wasn't just a, a weekend for your sins. His resurrection proved that it was for our sins. In other words, if he had stayed dead, then he would be just a man. And that would be all he is. And we could never say for sure uh, if he was the son of God. So it was the son of God giving his life on the cross, his resurrection, verifying that this was an act of divine, um, divine involvement for the payment of sin. His resurrection proved he was divine. And uh, that's not just a weekend thing because that's etched in God's mind forever. And that is a stain that God sustains that he took our sins upon himself forever. That's etched in his mind. That never goes away. That's just as fresh today as it ever was. Those are my thoughts. Stephen, what you got for me? So um, it, 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 adding on to what Terry's already said here and, and making a distinction um, and, and understanding, you know, the implications of death, uh, the suffering is a key element. Um, as you go back to Isaiah 53, um, you see the suffering as part of the sacrifice, as part of the, the element of the sacrifice. So he died a death. He died a criminal's death. He died a death that was vulgar to speak of in um, public company in the first century. It was so horrific and it, it just it wasn't for polite society to even say the word crucified. And you see that you see the uh, the sort of overwhelming suffering in the prayer of Jesus in Luke chapter 22 uh, being in agony, he was praying fervently and his sweat drops, his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Um, as you said in introducing this meme, it is very disrespectful. And I would just say that the person who made it uh, probably would, would not be able to endure the half of what Jesus endured in even thinking about what he was going to go through, much less actually going through it on behalf of guilty people, himself being innocent. 
So there's just so much involved in the death of the, of the cross, both physical and mental anguish, uh, to the point that it's it's not a matter of how long he stayed dead, et cetera, et cetera. It is the death itself uh, is is excruciating in every conceivable way. Appreciate it, Brian. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Stephen kind of touched on this, but let me kind of put some weight back into it again. One of the things about the cross that's constantly referenced in Scripture is the shame of the cross and the characteristics of shame. And, and Stephen rightly said this was a shame both to the Jew, uh, to you know, cursed is the one hung upon a tree, and to the Gentile because of the nature of the the shamefulness of the cross. But but the other thing we're we're missing in this story is that this is God that's on the cross. This is God that we're putting to a shame. And we cannot appreciate just how significant an idea that is. Um, uh, can I say that that's greater than the death of a human being, uh, that God would endure shame on our behalf, uh, that everything that is contrary to his nature would be exposed in that moment uh, in his uh, both his suffering, but particularly in this shameful presentation of God. And that's something that the the meme writer has no idea of. I, I have no doubt that the meme writer doesn't believe Jesus is God, uh, because if he did, he might have some small appreciation for the idea that we're not talking about the death of a man. We're talking about the exposure of God on the cross and that that is the characteristic that really is the weight behind the cross. Now, the second thing I want to add and before I uh, before I end is to say that the this person makes a statement that Jesus doesn't stay dead. Nobody stays dead. Uh, that's the concept and the promise of the resurrection. Every person is going to be raised from the dead. So death is not permanent for anybody. Um, that's, uh, that's the case that we all might understand and remember in this moment. Jesus' sacrifice isn't merely to say, well, he's just going to die and to make a point. Jesus's death is going to accomplish something. It's going to uh, it's going to end one covenant. It's going to create another. It's going to create uh, the concept of the resurrection. It's not just that Jesus died. It's that Jesus was the one that died. And that in his death, something was accomplished that no human being's death could ever have accomplished. Uh, and again, what we're really dealing with here is ignorance. Somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is. Somebody who doesn't appreciate what it means for Jesus to have died on the cross, and somebody who clearly has no idea of their own destiny in life. Brian, great observations. You know, just to being God in the flesh, just to show up on this planet, to come from heaven, Philippians 2, verse 6, to come down to this planet, to come to a first century world, no electricity, no indoor plumbing, to be among sinners, to be raised in poverty, no medical care, you know, no, 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 no drugs that at times kind of took away pain and to go through all of that. And then to be scourged, which your back is completely lacerated. And that process just often killed certain people, just that. Then to be nailed, hands and feet, spikes driven through them, where for hours, every movement you made to breathe was just anguish. And as Stephen noted, this is God in the flesh, and God in the flesh, as he anticipates this, is sweating, is, is producing sweat that's like great drops of blood. And then, in, in addition to, to like all of that, crucifixion, I mean, compared to our modern versions of capital punishment, compared to that, uh, 
our modern versions of capital punishment are a cakewalk compared to crucifixion. And and for someone to, I mean, can, can you imagine, Brian, someone making a meme that says, hey, mom, you know, you gave birth to me, but you know, you only, you only spent 12 hours in labor. So it was nothing. Or the people that went in that gas chamber in Nazi Germany, they were only in there for 10 minutes and then they died. So that's not a big deal. The time element, you guys, the time element needs nothing here. And I don't know, it just reminds me of Jude 15. Jesus is going to show up and he's going to bring to account all the things that sinners, the hard things that sinners have said about him. And man, Bella, I know you're right. Uh, whoever put together this mean, run for the hills, man. Run for the hills. Pray that the mountains fall on top of you. Take it off. Repent. Recant. Do whatever. Because the wrath of God is on your head. The wrath of God is on your head. Uh, those are my thoughts. All right. Thank, uh, thank you for the uh, thoughts there, guys. Appreciate those comments. All right. That is meme time. If you need more clarification on that, please email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com. Or you can private message your meme uh, if you have a meme to us. Or if you have a meme that you would like for us to answer, you can message us, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. All right. Uh, also, uh, for those who are watching live, if you want to come on the show, don't forget, you can uh, follow the instructions there on the Facebook and YouTube descriptions and come on the show. Ask your question. We'd love to have you. All right. Our first question for the day uh, is poor mental health a sin uh, such as anxiety since the Bible states things like be anxious for uh, nothing. All right. Appreciate uh, the question there. Uh, who wants that one first? Brian shaking his head up and down. Yes. So let's go with you. Sure. Sure. I, I think it's a fantastic question. Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter six uh, about not worrying and, and, and the corresponding or similar passages speaks of it being anxious. And we want to first and foremost say, what is the context of that conversation? And Jesus has been talking about the things that most people worry about, which are things like money or, you know, what's going to happen to me tomorrow or things like that. Jesus is not saying it's a sin to be anxious. Jesus is saying it's wrong to be anxious about things like, hey, what, you know, am I going to make money this year? Or, hey, am I going to, uh, you know, is, are things going to work out for me? When Jesus says, hey, God's going to take care of a lot of things in your life. Now, we can, we can uh, correspond this idea to the sense that Jesus, we already mentioned this actually in our last question or, or looking at the meme, that Jesus himself uh, had moments where he was exceedingly anxious, where he was overwhelmed with the tension of the things that he was about to do. We mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, that's that's a profound moment of deep, deep grief. Um, you know, when you walk through the scriptures, you'll see times where Jesus says, "I'm I'm grieving to death." I'm so eaten up, you know, he'll talk in John 12 about, you know, I'm really uh, thinking and, and, and contemplating what's going to have to happen to me and just how, how hard that was on him. Not Jesus alone, of course. We know that uh, a lot of people had worries and things that they had concerns about, you know, that they were concerned about things like, um, you know, Paul was worried for the Galatians and, and the things that were going on. Paul tells, tells the Corinthians that he has a great care for them and he worries about them. And, and when he talks about all the different things that he struggles with in life, like persecutions and such, he says, and the biggest thing is my daily worry for the brethren. Um, there's lots of things we're going to be anxious about. And, and of course, we're not even talking about the kind of anxiety that sometimes comes on because, you know, of a biological switch that goes off in our minds and, and uh, you know, something that, you know, in some way triggers 
the fight or flight response. Uh, there's a there's a condition called generalized anxiety disorder that uh, is is where people have that that response triggered and it's triggered uh, randomly or without any kind of connection to other things. And those are medical conditions. And we would no more say that a medical condition like that anxiety is sinful any more than we would say having a broken leg is sinful. Um, it's simply a, a condition of the human body that, you know, as a result of, we can go back to Adam and say the result of sin entering the world and the, you know, the, the deprivations that have gone on since that time. So to be very fair, you know, when the Bible speaks about not being anxious, what it wants, number one, is for us not to be anxious over things that the world is anxious over. But number two, when we are anxious, turn those things over to God. Uh, prayer and sharing our burdens with each other and, you know, bringing these things to light, those are definitely uh, the ways that we're supposed to handle our stresses and our anxieties. Um, and of course, like I said, finally, sometimes it's even something that needs to be considered in a medical way. And I don't think there's anything we would have a problem with that either. Hey, thanks for that great question or answer. Uh, Terry, what you got? Well, I was saying, I was about to say that um, it can be a sin. And, and I think Brian touched on some of that, that Jesus says, don't do this. Well, if you do that, that's, that becomes sinful. And if you stress out over every little thing and you don't, um, you don't try to practice uh, letting the peace of God rule in your heart. You don't practice the commands of God and uh, deciding to put your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. If you don't do that uh, and you just want to blame it on something uh, physical, uh, that could be a sin. Now, of course, we can't sit back and judge which, which way it is with you, but you have to judge that and you have to test out in your own life. Uh, have I, have mm -hmm. I tried to obey Jesus command not to stress out, not to be anxious for anything, but let the peace of God rule in your heart. If you haven't tried those things, uh, then that can be sinful. And so, yes, I think, uh, I think some people do stress out unnecessarily because they don't, uh, put their minds in the right gear and try to put, uh, try to let the peace of God rule. So they let everything else rule. And, and that can be, that can be sinful. Now, I'm not saying that it's sinful in every case, as Brian pointed out. There are uh, physical things that you can't help. Uh, and so we can't judge everybody's case. But I am saying you need to judge yourself. What have you tried? What have you done to try to alleviate that uh, poor mental health, as was said, such as anxiety? What have you done to help yourself in that regard? And God's word is very powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can help, help you learn how to be content, how to let God be the one that's ruling, that you trust him, that he cares for you, that he loves you. Uh, and you've done all those things that he's encouraged you to do. Uh, cast all your cares on him. If you've done that, and it's still a problem, then I, I would investigate the physical aspect of that as well. But uh, test yourself. Don't, don't make an excuse. Uh, don't, don't flippantly say it's a, it's a physical thing and I can't help it. There may be some things you can help. And so uh, try, 
to do what God says in that regard. And if all else fails, get get yourself tested. It may be a physical problem. Those are my thoughts. Mark? You know, Brian, there's, there's a lot. There's just a lot to this question. And I think at times Christians and preachers and elders try to ferret it out, like, what, what are we kind of dealing with here? And just, just some fundamental principles, I think. There, there is an area, Brian, where we are responsible for maintaining good mental health. That we have an area of responsibility in that. Philippians 4, 8, let your mind dwell on these things. Colossians 3, set your mind on things above. Um, guard your heart, book of Proverbs. Guard your heart with all diligence. And so we have a role to play. We have a role to play in thinking about the right things and pondering the right things. And there are commands that you got your anxieties, cast them upon the Lord. And so am I doing that? Um, What do I do over the years? What have I done to try to keep good mental health? Well, I pray. I I cast my cares upon the Lord. I, I I go to him in prayer. I, um, I, I, I read my Bible. I study it. I seek to implement it, live by it, try not to live a double life. I really watch my media intake, what I listen to, who I listen to, what I believe. Um, I, 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 I attend. I try to attend not only all the services, but Bible studies and be have strong relationships with other strong Christians. I try to make sure that my relationships in my own life are strong, like with my wife and, and with my kids. But, you know, we're, we're not just one thing. We're not just a spirit. We're a spirit in a body. We have a mind. We have emotions. And I, I think sometimes we underestimate the importance that, that that's all interconnected. And so, like, I try to get out, like, well, I'm going to walk. I'm going to try to get out and walk, get some sort of physical activity. Uh, I'm not going to be eating cheese puffs all the time or Lucky Charm cereal. You know, I mean, there's a... There's a health element of it too. Uh, you know, if you can just, if you eat junk, you're going to feel horrible. And not only that, but I, I seek to invest in my relationships. Um, one of the things, Brian, that I would like to tell people is it seems like in our culture, and I see this kind of coming into the church a little bit, and that is it's becoming increasingly popular to present yourself as I'm weak, I can't do anything, I'm no good at anything, I've got all these problems, and I'm a mess. And, and it's good to be honest and it's good to cry out for help. But to me, the danger, the danger, and from that, you can get a lot of sympathy. But to me, the danger of that, Brian, is that when you present yourself as a mess, people tend not to give you the advice that you need to hear at the moment because they're afraid of like sending you over the edge or you're, we're walking on eggshells. And, 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 and I tell you what, if, if, if you present yourself as fragile, that means that that can kind of protect you a little bit from the standpoint of people are not going to talk to you like straight up. But I think that can really be a detriment in the long run. Um, if, if you present yourself as him and doing the best I can and I'm strong, people are going to be a little bit more pointed to you, <laughs> which, which you need. They're going to be a little bit more honest, like, hey, you know, because they realize that you can take it. And so that's just one of the many thoughts that have been going around my mind on this particular topic. Um, if, and here's the last thing, if you rebel against God, all bets are off when it comes to mental health. I, I, I'm not just, 
it's all tied together. You rebel against God, and I don't think you're going to be able to keep your head together. It's it. Not all mental health is tied to sin, and so I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you depart from God, you become unfaithful, you're living a double life. You're gonna have problems. That's just my thought. So those are Mark's comments on a really big question. Stephen. So, um, you know, it, it is a big question and, uh, we could do a whole episode. In fact, in, in many ways, you guys have done a lot of episodes on this very topic on Tuesday nights and, uh, encourage people to go back and, and watch those episodes. Um, we just want to be so careful because there are two extremes. And I think that's, what's been illustrated so far is there is the extreme of, Hey, don't be anxious. And what Brian has shown is, um, anxiety is a natural response to reality. Um, and so we want to recognize that Paul says in Romans chapter nine, I have unceasing grief over the notion of Israel being lost. I take him at his word there. And I don't think he's confessing sin. He's confessing a reality, but the, the reality is that we need to do some challenging, as Terry says, some comparisons. Do you get more upset and anxious over your team's chances in the big game this Saturday or over the loss of a brother in Christ to the world? Uh, those things shouldn't be any comparison to us. And so when we see anxiety in those godly men and women in scriptures and even in our Lord, it is very serious matters. And I think that that what we need to understand is that some some of our help and assistance needs to be in evaluating the situation. When Job's friends showed up and saw his condition, they didn't speak for seven days. Uh, these weren't even, as it turns out, very wise men, but they knew enough to know that they should not come in guns a-blazing. And we need to be careful when we walk into terrible, tragic situations that we don't just say something like, well, you ought to have more faith in God. Job had more faith than the three men and really all the rest of the men in the world. And yet he is in the pit of despair. And, and I think all of us, as we're looking at Job, could say, I, I wouldn't know what to say. And we wouldn't. And we would want to sympathize and help. But what's happened on the other extreme is that we have people who get anxious uh, about having phone conversations, uh, who get anxious over, you know, the, the basic, the most basic realities over adulting, as that has come to be a term. Um, and so they just almost can't function in normal society because anxiety. And there are physical things that can cause that, as has already been suggested. But I also think there's cultural things that cause that. We have a culture that, that as Mark says, it invites that fragility. And we don't want to be fragile people. We don't look at Job and go, well, he's just fragile. No, 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 no. He's not fragile. He is someone who's been broken by the hardest things you could imagine in this life. And there, there are people who today Christians who are going to be in that same boat and and need the the kindness and mercy of their brethren and not only that I do think this 
I think we ought to worry and be concerned about some things. I do get a little bit tired when I hear uh, Christians who express concern over uh, cultural movements, over shifts in the church. And somebody says, well, you're not supposed to be worried about that. No, Paul was. He lost sleep over it. And I do, too, because I care about those things and I care about them more than anything else in this life. And so, yeah, it's going to cause me some concern and some worry. And I think that's godly anxiety, as, as Brian pointed out. It's not so much whether you have it. It's what do you have it over? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Got great comments. <laughs> Good wisdom there. I uh, appreciate the question there. All right. Next question that we have here. Uh, this was a little long. Uh, we had to uh, shorten it down for the uh, screen. So kind of add some context as we go. Uh, so basically the question was, correct me if I'm wrong, the separation in 1 Corinthians 7, 5 was for a temporary time period in the context of conjugal rights, where full dedication of time and energy to God was practiced instead as expressed through uh, prayer. Uh, it did not authorize a, spy, a spouse to literally have a new life. Uh, and then kind of some context there, a new life in the sense of move out, get a job, get a new apartment you know, the whole nine yards, but remain married and then use first Corinthians seven, five to justify this totally new lifestyle. Right. Also, even if they were separated, they still had other husband slash wife responsibilities they needed to attend to. Correct. Uh, in parentheses, there would be uh, managing the home, taking care of the children uh, and such. All right, guys, uh, what's your thoughts on that? Bob, uh, appreciate you being on. Uh, you were kind of late to the game here, so we haven't heard from you. Let's, uh, let's start with you. And you're muted. <laughs> Sorry about that. Somebody else unmuted me at the same time I did. That was probably our, our producer who is now fired. Anyway, go ahead. I believe the person who asked the question has the, has the correct idea. Nowhere in God's word does he authorize a trial separation uh, as far as uh, separate dwellings uh, for a period of time where each person feels free to date someone else and justify it by saying, well, I'm separated. Uh, my wife and I didn't get along. And so I moved out and she's living her life. I'm living mine, but we can't agree on the terms of a divorce or she wants custody of the kids and I want custody of the kids. And uh, that's going to be a problem to, you know, but, but I'm free to date who I want. She's free to date who she wants. This kind of thing, this kind of lifestyle is nowhere authorized in scripture. As the questioner asked, this has to do only with the conjugal rights. What happens in the bed at night between a husband and a wife, which should only happen between a husband and a wife. Uh, and so, yeah, there are times that it's more important to uh, spend more time in prayer before going to bed uh, over problems uh, that you're concerned about. Uh, as we've just talked about uh, concern and worry, uh, we can't ha we can't have absolute control over our emotions. Uh, we've we've got to deal with things that happen in our lives, and but the best thing that we can do about them is to pray over them. And so here is a time that normally we use to for these conjugal rights that you know we can say let's just stay up late and and pray about this, study God's word, and. Uh, 
and and not enjoy that special relationship that a husband and wife can enjoy uh, uh, for tonight. That's the separation that is under consideration here, not moving out of house and home. Good observations, Bob. Uh, you know, when you look at the text, nothing says about anyone moving out. You know, it's in the context here. It looks like some of the Corinthians who are married were under the impression that um, a celibacy in marriage was some sort of higher spiritual level. And that's not true. And but it, it's interesting that Paul gives a concession here. He says, OK, if if you're going to abstain for a while, then let it be for the purpose of prayer. And, and not only that, but it needs to be a short time lest Satan tempt you for your lack of self-control. Well, and, and that's in the context of both partners still in the same dwelling and a short period of time. Man, how much more is Satan going to tempt you if you got your place and he got his place? And that's just a, I was talking to someone this week, you guys, and I thought they made an excellent comment because I know, I know sometimes you got situations and I don't know if I've ever seen a situation where husband and wife were living in separate residences that that it would that the marriage actually was brought back together it just seems like that is the first step towards the dissolution of the marriage it's it's really hard to work on the marriage when you're not in the same place and someone someone also said to me if you're counseling a a couple like marriage counseling and if you're not doing it if you're not doing the counseling with them as a couple you're doing divorce counseling. If you're just talking to him individually, you're doing divorce counseling. And I, I know I just I thought that hit me like a ton of bricks, like, man, there's a lot of wisdom in that. So those are those are my particular thoughts. I want to kind of say that there's also a bigger idea here, not just from First Corinthians 7, but an attitude in general, where a lot of times people take a statement made by God and they twist it so that they can make an application of something that they want to do. And, and I really appreciate this question because what the viewer is kind of pointing out is that somebody is saying, hey, 1 Corinthians 7 talks about the, the, the fast of celibacy, let's call it that. And we're going to take that statement and then make an application where we're just going to do something like we want to do, where a husband says, hey, I'm going to, maybe not even I, uh, we don't get along. This, this husband says, hey, I want to live, uh, you know, work in another country for six months a year, and we'll call it a, uh, a celibacy fast. You know, that's what we'll do. In Matthew 15, Jesus was really angry with the Pharisees. And he says, you know, you guys take the opportunity to give gifts to God, Corbin, and then you take away from honoring your father and mother and call it that. You're using one thing as an excuse for another. And he says, you know, what you're really doing is, in, is violating God's real commandments here. Um, we, people do it all the time. You know, people talk about, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to fast. Uh, you know what they're talking about is dieting, uh, you know, and they say, Oh, well, I'm going to fast. I'm going to call it something spiritual at the same time. Um, that's not what makes it spiritual. It's the purpose and intent that brings about the spiritual, uh, purpose to that. Uh, somebody, somebody gets a, you know, I hear guys all the time, uh, you know, and, and probably everybody on this, on this panel knows somebody like this and they get a job opportunity in some faraway region where there's no church. And they say, well, I'm going to go there and I'm going to start a church. That's not your purpose and intent in going there. Your purpose and in going, intent in going there is to get a really good job. And you're trying to paint this idea of a spiritual reasoning behind it. And that never works, by the way. It never works. It never uh, accomplishes the thing you want to accomplish. First Corinthians 7 is talking about the idea of, of, of an opportunity to, to 
to again to uh, fast of intimacy in a marriage for the purpose of strengthening self control and prayer, and somebody turning around that and and getting something else out of that entirely is the same kind of manipulation that Jesus was so angry with the Pharisees over in Matthew fifteen. It 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 creates an invalidation of the commandments of God uh, by by our own traditions, and it's just a dangerous thing all around. Appreciate those comments there. Stephen, do you have something? <clears throat> yeah, just um, expanding that out to the entirety of the context of 1 Corinthians 7, where he goes on to talk about marriage in general. I mean, even being married. And, and he he counsels singleness for the present distress, right? So there are things going on, particularly uh, there in Corinth at that time, uh, that causes Paul to give counsel that really goes against the grain of what the scriptures have to say about marriage uh, throughout the, the rest of all of scripture. And so there's something specific going on here, but he gives a, a reason there as well. As you continue on down through the context, he says, so that you aren't hindered in your worship to God, in your service and devotion to God, and that this might cause, marriage might cause a distraction in this particular instance. Um, I would just say that, uh, again, and, and um, piggybacking on what Brian said as far as people taking this scripture and using it the way they want to, this just has nothing. Well, let me, let me say it this way. If you're trying to to set in place some stone hard rule here from this passage, I do think there's a rule here. But like if if you need the scriptures to tell you that you have to live with your spouse, then you got bigger problems than figuring out what first Corinthians seven verse one says. Right. You you have a, a total misunderstanding of the nature of your relationship. Uh, and, uh, and, and so we've got to deal with more than just figuring out what this verse says. Yes, it demands that, uh, but it demands that in the context of so much more. And you are not fulfilling God's purposes if you look at these first few verses of 1 Corinthians 7 and say, well, I'll, I'll continue to live with him. And I guess I'll continue to do what I'm supposed to in conjugal rights. But no, the, you've got it all wrong and all backwards. There's, there's a lot more problems. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, great. If, if anybody needs any more clarification on that, please email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us. All right. Next question. And don't forget, you can come on the show if you like and uh, follow the instructions there on the YouTube and Facebook description. Is it scriptural to pray to Jesus? And we've we've got this a couple of times now over the years, uh, but it's been a while. So we'll go ahead and, and answer it. Uh, Brian, you're shaking your head up and down. So you get caught on. No, that's not what I was doing. I was just, I was just saying, that's a good question. Um, let's just say this. Uh, throughout the scriptures, we find the the stipulation or the description of prayer being something where we're praying to the Father. Um, and, and I always enjoy uh, talking about prayer and talking about how we're praying to our Father and and the, the, the close connection we have with God as our Father that's because of the covenant of Christ. Um, Old Testament, they didn't have that. Uh, they had God as, a, you know, they knew God. They knew God's name, but they... You know, you don't see oftentimes where they're calling him father like we're told to do. And it's just such a special thing. Uh, we do so through the name of Christ because he's the one true son. And and we get to put on that sonship and being baptized in Christ. I, I like talking about those things. They're enjoyable. But I want to be clear to say that I, I would stop short of saying that there is an absolute rigid 
formation of prayer that we have to follow and that any prayer that doesn't uh, invoke the Father doesn't work. And, and I would say that, first of all, because there's a couple of examples in Scripture where it doesn't seem like they were praying to the Father. Uh, Stephen, as he's being stoned, uh, cries out to the Lord. Uh, Paul says he implored of the Lord three times to take away the uh, the thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians. And so I would suggest that there are circumstances I, I would certainly stop short of saying, hey, well, if you're not praying to the Father, it's not going to be effective. Uh, I wouldn't want that to be the case. But at the same time, you know, I do love the idea of following this pattern. Um, and I think of the idea, and and I realize this probably isn't a solid, strong answer, but this is more of a passive answer. I like the idea that I'm asking something of my father. I have a, I have a good relationship with my earthly father. I was really blessed with a good father. And, you know, I always felt the confidence that there, if I had something wrong or if I needed something, I could go to him and he would, he would answer me unlike he would answer anybody else because we had a connection because we had something special. Um, and boy, I just don't know, you know, why wouldn't I want to go to my father? Why wouldn't I want to bring this to him? And why wouldn't I want to use, uh, the name of Jesus, which Jesus has allowed me to use in that petition. So, uh, you know, again, I think that I, I have to stop short of saying there's there's a specific absolute pattern here, but at the same time, boy, it is a blessed uh, opportunity to go to the Father, and that's the way I would pursue it. Thank you. Terry? I'd say uh, amen to everything that Brian said there. Yes, there are exceptional times, the Bible says. I think the rule is you pray to the Father, but it's not a restrictive rule where you can never address your mediator. He's your mediator and he's your advocate. Uh, what kind of rule is there that you could never say anything to your mediator and your advocate? Uh, and I don't see that rule enforced in Paul's life, as was mentioned, or others. But they did, as a general rule, pray to the Father because that's what Jesus said do. Uh, pray to the Father. But it didn't mean that uh, with no exceptions, never say anything to your mediator and your, your advocate. Uh, that, that's a strange rule that I don't see anywhere in the New Testament. Yeah, and just anytime this question comes up, I, I would just say to the person asking it, if it's a matter of, are we having a, um, a discussion about whether or not we can sing songs that are directed at Jesus. That's, that's the most common time I hear this kind of uh, discussion being um, brought up. And I think these guys have well advocated uh, for the legitimacy of doing that. Um, but on the other hand, if somebody is sort of like um, trying to look for a way to be different, um, I, I would press what these guys have said about a pattern. Are you, are you trying to, uh, just pray in a way that might get some attention. Boy, you're just missing the point of prayer. Um, you know, we're not trying to distract uh, people or or pray in a way just to see what somebody says so that we can um, show them from the scriptures that we have a right to do it this way. Um, that's, that's not the sort of attitude at all. And I have come in contact with that. I'm not saying it is in the case of this questioner, but just, uh, you know, what do we want to do with this information? And I think when we uh, enter into prayers, we want to do so in the way that's going to be most helpful to bring everybody in unison, especially in a public prayer, to bring everybody in unison before the throne of God. And if we're trying to be cutesy by doing it in a way that we are not normally accustomed to, 
I just really think we're destroying the whole purpose of what we're trying to accomplish uh, in that moment, in that instance. Good thought, yeah. Stephen. I, if, if the people are looking for a passage, Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks in a lot of places. And I think well taken. That is a pattern from the Lord's Prayer throughout the New Testament. And as noted, Jesus is our mediator. There, there is a sense, I think, since Jesus is the mediator, that every prayer you've ever prayed, he's heard. <laughs> it's, it's gone through him. And I don't think you can, and, and you would never want him to keep him out of the prayer. He's your mediator. But at the same time, part of this, I, I'm not sure what people are asking at times with this question, because, I mean, in, in a prayer to the Father, could you pause and thank Jesus for dying for you? I think that's absolutely appropriate, yes. But the other question would be, if someone says, well, I only want to pray to Jesus. I don't want the Father involved. Well, well wait a minute. That To me, that's word thinking, because God is one. Uh, Jesus is God. The Father is God. They're, they're all on the same page. And it would, to me, be weird to think like, well, I want to keep the other two out of this prayer. <laughs> I, I don't understand that sort of thinking. And the men have said it's well taken. Um, years ago, I ran into a guy, and he kind of talked about this. But I got the sense that he wanted to do it because it was different, almost like a fad. And so motivation, I think, comes in here really, really um, important. If you're under the impression that the father is distant, then I think you got a bigger problem than simply wanting to pray to Jesus. Uh, the Father is not distant. It, it's, and I think in Catholicism, you see, well, the Father's distant, so you got Jesus, but Jesus is now rather distant, so you need Mary, but Mary's getting a little distant, so you need Joseph, and it just goes on and on and on like that. So those are kind of my thoughts um, in this particular question uh steven makes a great point when you lead public prayer you need to lead a prayer that at the end of it the people in the congregation can say amen those are my thoughts all right appreciate those uh, those comments there guys all right last question here probably for the day because uh, we're running out of time uh church trustees are found nowhere in scripture but the law requires we have them if we have a building uh, should congregations today have them personally know of some and just wondering uh, who on the panel has, has those where you're located? Just curious. All right. Steven does. All right. Steven, go ahead. Say some words to that. I'm sure Brian does too. Yeah. So um, I think we need to have some um, categories in our mind here. We're dealing with governing authorities. We're dealing with a society that surrounds us uh, in ways and with words and terminology um, that are distinct from what we're doing internally. Right. Um, and so they might they might have different words for like what we would call our building. Um, you know, as as preachers, uh, all of us, when we file our taxes, have a parsonage allowance. And uh, that's a term that um, is hardly even in use today anymore. Um, the, all of us would be termed pastors, um, generally on, on government documents and so forth. Uh, though we wouldn't technically, uh, I don't know, maybe some of you would, but we wouldn't technically meet the requirements to be a pastor. And so I accept their meaning of the terms that they're using. 
And what they're saying is we need some people who can be official communicants to the bank or the governing authorities or whatever. Um, and as the church, we're appointing that using their terminology. But what we need to do is be careful and understand that there's no scriptural authority that goes along with that role of trustee, but that is simply uh, a, a way to be able to con for, for the church to be able to exist and conduct business um, with the surrounding um, you know society. In some countries, when you establish uh, a church and you want to be recognized as a church, you have to register your name. You can't just say we're describing ourselves this way. Um, like, you know, here, if you want to start a church, you know, you really don't have to communicate with the government necessarily in order to do in order to do that. But you have to have permission in some countries. And so in order to do that, you have to have an official title for the church. Well, that doesn't mean that 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 that's the only way internally that you can refer to the church uh, that you're a part of, but from an official standpoint, you just recognize that we're going to have this name. And so in Fiji, for instance, there's the name Assembly of Christ because the name Church of Christ was already officially taken by uh, a denominational group. And so uh, they established the group there as the Assembly of Christ. So I, I think just thinking in those categories, I'm thinking in terms when I file my taxes, how would the government refer to this? How would they think about this? And I fill it out in that fashion and in that form. And somebody else might say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Well, it does say something about paying taxes. And so in order to do that, I have to speak and, and acknowledge the terminology of the people who are asking me to pay the taxes. And so I think, I think that's uh, a way to think through that. Yeah. Bob? I would liken it to the term president of a business meeting. He is simply the one who is presiding over the business meeting. He has no authority over the church. He's not an elder necessarily. He might be. He might not be. He might not even be the preacher. But uh, he is presiding over the business meeting. He is the president uh, pro temp, we might say, uh, at that particular time. And so trustee is just a, a way of identifying somebody who is going to be held responsible by the local government uh, for the uses made of that building and whether or not it meets code. And I would, I would just add, you, you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, here's, a, here's a situation where uh, some brethren are not getting along, and, and, they, and Paul asked, is there not a wise man among you that you might could designate for this to handle this rather than going to, to that, to the court of law for this particular item. What he's saying is you can make arrangements for things. And there, and in this case, you can make arrangements to settle things with in house. That is, you can, you can appoint somebody temporarily to be the judge. Not that there's going to be a permanent office of a judge, but here that this thing came up, you're going to have, you can have from within your, your ranks, somebody to help handle that detail. Well, that's the same thing with trustees is we're just saying we're designating these men to, to handle this particular issue with the, 
with the uh, the city or the the government or whatever. So those are making arrangements to do what needs to be done. That's not establishing some uh, extra office that we're tacking on to the spiritual order of the church. So those are my thoughts. All right. Well, I appreciate your thoughts there, brother. And I think that's uh, all. I think that covers it well. If you need more clarification, please do reach out to us. We'll try to answer any more specific questions that you may have. That's all the time we have for today. And uh, any last minute comments there, guys, before I close out the show? Great show, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Just thank Brendan for the kudos on the LSB mug. Yeah. Um, they uh, sent that along with my uh, copy of the LSB and uh, I, I'm enjoying the usage of that. And so I would uh, commend it to all of um, you as you think about different translations. It's valuable, I think, addition to the number of translations we have. Say, say that translation one more time for the audience. It's LSB Legacy Standard Bible is the, the name of it. All right. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for the uh, for the show, for, the, for your wisdom and, and such. For those who are tuning in at home, uh, whether you're watching live or on the replay, we appreciate you uh, tuning in, as well as those who may be listening on the podcast. Uh, we do go live every Wednesday for our live Bible Q&A. So if we did not get to your question today, we will next week, Lord willing. Uh, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com. Again, that's questions at answeringreligiousair.com, or you can private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousair. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we go live on all of those social media platforms. And then after the Q&A, our audio only is uploaded to the podcast. And so you can search for the daily answer on podcast or answering religious air, and you should be able to find our live Bible Q&A there. Also on Mondays, uh, our beloved Bob was on the show a few uh Today on the panel, we have Bob's Bible Basics. And so if you just want to learn about the basics of the Bible and then uh, go over and check out Bob's Bible Basics, it's on Facebook and YouTube. It's every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Then Tuesdays is an Answering Religious Error show. It's a live interactive Bible study that we conduct. Uh, currently, we're doing a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, so if you have missed that series, we'd encourage you to check out the archived uh, videos there on YouTube, as well as our Facebook page. And we go live on Twitter and uh, the audio is uploaded after the show to all major podcast platforms. Then on Thursdays is a show for women by women called Older Women Likewise. The concept is taken uh, from the book of Titus, chapter two and verse three, where Paul instructs older women to uh, train and teach the younger women. And so that is a show for women. And if you are a sister in Christ and you are wanting to know more about uh, how to uh, manage the home, how to uh, serve within the local church or a uh, place of business or wherever, then we encourage you to check out the uh, the show uh, Older Women Likewise. And they air on Facebook and YouTube every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, as well as on podcast. You can find them by searching Older Women Likewise, that's all the time we have for this week. Appreciate those who tuned in, who shared the video, supported the show by sending in questions. We thank you very much for that. And we will see you, Lord willing, next Tuesday right here on Answering Religious Error.